1: Happy Halloween!
0: Halloween it today Halloween. It it's kind of cool that our episode is Falls on Halloween Halloween, Halloween. but it is sadly a workday for most people that is sad isn't it But I do think diehards might be out exploring spooky places so they should be yeah. in honor of ending this Halloween season on a dud my story today <laughs> is about the forbidden ancient ghost village Dudley town Oh cool. Yes, located in the dense woods outside of Cornwall, Connecticut. I swear, Connecticut has so many ghost stories. Yeah, the
1: whole New England area is pretty much fucked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This once thriving community is now a place shrouded in mystery and legend. The town itself is now long gone a ghostly remnant of a bygone era. But the stories that surround it continue to captivate the imagination of those who seek to unravel its secrets. And yes, that paragraph was written by GPT Chat. Oh, now, hey. I, I think it was, because as I'm reading it, I'm like, mm, that doesn't sound like my writing. <laughs> but the rest is all me. Dudley Town's origins can be traced back to the late 18th century when Thomas Griffith and his wife Sarah settled in the area. The couple bought a small parcel of land just outside of Cornwall, Connecticut, and just a short while later, more families joined them, forming a small village which made most of its money off logging in the surrounding woods. The town was named Dudley Town after the Dudley family, who became prominent figures in the area. The land is covered in thick forest, and the ground is surrounded by steep, rocky terrain. In later years, the town was given the ominous name of Dark Entry Forest. No, this do, do, sounds do. ominous.
1: Dark and yes,
0: <laughs> perhaps because of the dense, tall trees keeping the place in perpetual shadow. Many podcasts have covered this story, and some have tried to piece the history of the families who have moved there in order to understand the most famous legend that the original founders brought a curse with them when they came over from Europe. But the history of the families is hard to verify as slight misspellings can mean the difference of one family being from an entirely different country or ancestral tree. For example, the name Dudley could be the family name of Dud and Lee. Lee is only associated because it means land, so the prominent settlers could actually be the Dud family, not the Dudley family. But despite the uncertainty in the town settlers, one fact remains— this area has a strange, malevolent energy, unexplainable occurrences, and misfortune. People who have crossed this forbidden place have talked about the eerie silence and lack of wildlife. A quote by paranormal investigator Nicholas Grossman said of this place, When you walk into the heart of Dudley Town, you won't hear any animals. You won't hear any birds. You won't hear anything. It's just your own voice. It's almost like if you've been inside a music studio and the acoustics muffle the sound, That's kind of the feeling you get in your ears, if that makes sense while walking up there.
1: Makes me think of Tannis. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh yeah, I love that podcast. If you hold your two hands near your ears, but don't touch them, you hear the muffling. So there's definitely a void up there or some type of vortex, some type of portal, end quote. In the early 1900s, the town was almost completely abandoned. Crops continually failed and many of the residents wanted to live closer to bigger communities. The families who had hung on to their properties mainly used it for summer or weekend getaways. Stories spread that the soil might even be cursed, the water, or the land itself, because illness was common and livestock would also be found dead from Mm. unknown causes. The origins of the curse state that Edmund Dudley was beheaded for treason when he tried to place his daughter-in-law, Lady Jane Grey, as the Queen of England. Have you seen that movie Lady Jane with Helena Bonham Carter? No. Oh, it's so so good. Oh, really? Yes. I highly recommend watching it.
1: I like her as an actress.
0: I do too. She Mm. does a fabulous job. She's so young in the movie when you watch it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Edmund Dudley had some followers for Jane's claim to the throne, but in the end, the plot failed and both he and poor Jane, who was only queen for nine days and was just a teenager, were condemned to lose their heads. Oh, boy. It is said that his descendants of the Dudley family were then cursed. A later Dudley descendant arrived in the same area farmed by Thomas Griffiths, or Griffith, and they started to create a village with crops devoted to corn and flax. But soon tragedy would strike. The first occurrence was the murder of a town member, Gershwin Hollister, who was attacked in the home of William Tanner, who lived right next door to a member of the Dudley family, A.B.L. Dudley. Some versions of the story say that Hollister was building a barn on the property for Tanner and accidentally fell to his death from a ladder. But both stories state that Tanner went insane, complaining that there were unnatural wild animals, demons, and was paranoid that evil was in the town. Abel Dudley, or Abel Dudley, Tanner's neighbor, also started to go mad a few years later and acting very irrational, losing all his possessions, including his home to lack of care and financial loss.
1: Do you think there was some kind of a hallucinogen that they were I have no idea. Something
0: was going on. The Carter family moved into Abiel's home, but it was claimed that Nathaniel quickly became unsettled and wanted to move. You may be familiar with the name Horace Greeley, who ran for president in 1872.
1: Yeah, I know him well. Yes. His (laughs) wife
0: grew up living in Dudleytown, and one week before he lost the election, she had gone back to her former child home and hung herself. Oh, my God. General Herman Swift, who lived in Dudleytown, who was said to have slowly gone insane after his third wife, was standing on their front porch and suddenly was struck dead from a freak lightning strike. Skeptics state that the level of insanity was embellished because Swift lived to 81. And it is natural to have a progression of dementia in an aging population. But I do know, you know, traumatic events can have effect on your mental stability. And like, you know, having his wife, you know, go insane and then having her struck by lightning. I mean, it's
1: just crazy. I thought she hung herself.
0: No, that was somebody else. Oh, okay. (laughs) That was Horace Greeley's wife. Okay.
1: Yeah. There's so many weird Mm -hmm. stories around this area. Yeah. So
0: General Herman Swift, um, that's who I'm talking about, who lived in Dudleytown. Okay. He went slowly insane after his third wife. Was standing on their front porch. And she was struck by was lightning. was struck dead oh, okay. from a freak gotcha, lightning gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, and so, you know, and people are saying, well, you know, he lived to 81. It's natural to have a progression of dementia. But the thing is, with such a low population in this area, it's alarming of how many of the people are having these issues, Yeah, right? no kidding. So in 1924, a doctor specializing in the treatment of cancer, Dr. William Clark, purchased land near Bald Mountain, which is part of Dudley Town. Returning from a business trip in New York, the doctor found his wife in a state of incoherent rambling and trembling with madness. She claimed there were strange creatures in the woods that came out of the forest and attacked her. She was later institutionalized in a mental hospital where she later committed suicide other versions disclaim this story and state his wife had a chronic disease and couldn't stand the pain so she ended her life committing suicide but dr clark must not have feared the town because he continued to still visit dudley town on the weekends or for a vacation spot Mm. Did
1: you ever see the village yes this is kind of what it makes me think of yeah the creatures in the woods Yeah, yeah
0: totally yeah in 1924 the doctor wanted to revitalize the town which had dwindled to half its original size and was losing its former beauty and trees from the many years of clear cutting he formed the dark entry forest association wanting to protect the area and reforest the land he planned for it to be a recreational place and planted lots of trees originally hoping to offer summer camps to the children but his plans were short-lived and later abandoned in favor of just a private wildlife preserve. Stories continued to spread, though, about tragedy in the area and children going missing near Dudley Town. Ed and Lorraine Warren, who we've covered on an episode in a past season, investigated this area and concluded that the town was indeed controlled by demonic entities. (laughs) Critics of the Warrens often claim anything they could not clearly understand came under the title of quote-unquote, demonic. You cannot, though, discount what they thought, but perhaps it was alien or more of an ancient creature than they were used to investigating. Witnesses claimed they saw cloven hoof beasts with glowing red eyes. And in their book, Ghost Hunters, the Warrens tell about accounts from the 1930s when local youths would drive up into the old roads to the highest point of the hills to make out. The wooded area was a great romantic spot to hook up and scare dates. (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes those make-out sessions could become more than a fun night and a harmless prank. One story told in the book talks about a football player who was wanting to have a spooky night out with his girlfriend. He drove out on one of the overlooks in Dudleytown and started to tell stories of the ghosts and demon which haunts the woods. But he got so frightened in the middle of telling his own stories, <laughs> that he jumped out of the car and left his date behind running frantically oh, in the Hell for once. woods. Jeez. What an idiot. I'm sorry. I'm like totally oh, laughing. do you imagine? He's like telling his own story. He gets, He's getting scared of himself. He like just leaves her behind. my
1: word. She's probably like, what a loser. Yeah. going to make out with you anyway.
0: (laughs) Some might say, oh, that was all part of the joke, but his date had to figure out how to get home when the sun came (laughs) up. Oh my God. Now the villagers owners would later close the area off to the public without little explanation, instead designating it as a nature reserve, according to the Smithsonian Channel. As of 1999, Dudley Town, or aka the Dark Entry Forest, is completely off limits to the public. So the issue I have with this town, and why I think there is some truth to some of this, is that the town does not allow any access, period. I can understand perhaps protecting the area from vandals and people who are, you know, just seeking a ghost hunting experience as, you know, just a nuisance, but several people have submitted a FOIA request to the Dark Entry Forest Association and the Town of Cornwell. FOIA? What do you mean? What is that? Yeah, what is that? Well thank you for asking, Molly. <laughs> FOIA is a Freedom of Information Act which allows access to historical records. Both requests though have been denied. The town of Cornwell, who did respond, stated they had no documents or official land survey that goes with the site and the dark entry forest has never responded to any inquiries for information. One radio show personality suggested in a letter to the owners that they open up one day, just one day, (laughs) to have a ranger guide a team of scientists through a tour to see what remains of the old ghost town, maybe test the water and soil for possible toxins in an effort to put to rest any of the haunted rumors and legends of cryptids or other paranormal creatures associated with the place. This request was also ignored. Now, this is unheard of when there is a petition from so many people who want answers. Yeah. Archaeologists and conservationists want to study the water and the rock configurations and minerals. Very few photographic images have been taken or survive, and all that seems to be left of the place are just a few stone cellars, rock walls, and the now overgrown forest and waterfalls. Regarding any man-made structures, there is not much there now. In 1983, a reporter and his film crew tried to investigate the area, and he got violently ill when trying to tell his story. Their equipment also failed to work while they were within the Dudley Town boundaries. In 2011, eight people who were trying to make a movie about the place and were arrested for trespassing were trying to make the independent horror film known as Dudley Town Curse, The 49th Key. Doug Kirkpatrick of Red Barn Media said they were abiding by the laws, staying on public property and the public roads. They felt the arrest was completely overboard as they did not actually cross onto the property. The production crew warns of Halloween enthusiasts to take the threat seriously, they have a standing order with the Connecticut State Police to arrest on site anyone who appears to interfere with their privacy. Kirkpatrick is quoted saying, we admonish people don't think you can go to Dudleytown, end quote.
1: Hmm. The it's qu- weird that what's so what's making it so in demand for people is because they can't. You know, why, yeah, you, why can't if you just come if out you don't and want say people, why you don't want them in there? Yeah. If you don't want
0: people to bother you anymore, mm-hmm. then just supervise one outing, get yeah. all the evidence out there and put it to rest. Yeah, right?
1: absolutely. It's like why everybody yeah. shows up at Area 51 and tries to storm right. the gates. It's because they, they think there's something in there they need to see. And when you make it off limits to people, it really builds the lore and mm-hmm. the mythic Totally reputation around it so it makes it worse yeah i totally agree yeah and the cornwall
0: historical society did try and like help people with this they wrote a book in 1966 outlining the history to argue against some of the myths associated with the property but they've not offered any official documents except just outlining its claims that nothing regarding the historical curse or paranormal is going on but when pressed further to provide actual facts they announce that they intend to publish a booklet called the true facts of Town*, but of course have never done so miss clark who was a former president of the society, and according to the New York Times, is now in her 90s, wants people to know, quote, today's owners and taxpayers of Dudleytown are professional people who live there for privacy and seclusion. They do not welcome tourists or those seeking chilling or wild experiences. Please do not come. There are no ghosts, no spirits and no curse. End quote. Wow, Mrs. Clark, Methinks you death protest too much. <laughs> the area has tried to detour tourists and curious investigators from ever finding the place by changing names of road signs and seeking a strong ranger presence to keep an eye on the quote-unquote wilderness. The wilderness <laughs> that has no wildlife. Right. The paranormal creatures that right. live in Well, someone did state that in the 1960s, They sprayed the whole area with DMT, so that might explain the lack of eggs and animals. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, who knows if that's true. Several paranormal investigators, though, are not too easily deterred by the alternate theories and debunking of the history. Lou Milano wrote about his petition to obtain police report records of the dark entry woods and Dudleytown area, as there have been also several missing person cases. Lou petitioned the police to provide any reports of the surrounding areas and Dudley Town for a three-year period. The only thing they responded with was a list of serial numbers and a two-word description. They said that to get more information, he had to specifically request a case by the case number. Lou decided to request a more in-depth document from a missing person case in July of 2017. What he got back instead was was a straightforward case where someone gets turned around, lost in the woods, and calls the police for help to lead them out. But why then was almost the entire report redacted after that? There were no details of the conversation or what transpired during the time of his missing. The whole thing stinks, and it isn't the ghosts. It is the weird obsession with the secrecy that has everyone just up in arms. Yeah. The whole town and its governing authorities nearby are all stonewalling any questions. It's so So, weird. Yeah. So this gets my mind going that maybe they are doing their own investigations privately with the Stark Entry Woods Association, and can't have any leaks until their findings are confirmed. It reminds me of places like Skinwalker Ranch. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I'm eager to see all the new information that you guys can come out with when you get your little drones flying over the area. (laughs) That's right. right. I really do believe it's impossible these days not to have some way to view what is going on.
1: Also, I was going to say, it could be too... Perhaps the military uses it, and they've buried bombs in that area. Yeah. that's why they don't want anyone going in there. But they should be able to just say, "Look, we're using it for military purposes, and and training. It is or not safe because we're shooting off live artil- artillery rounds. But or tar- whatever. But it's you know, completely
0: it dead silent. So I, I mean, they would yeah. hear like if it's being used for well, training facilities. Well, they
1: killed facilities. everything. They killed. Maybe they're trying to hide from the environmental people because they killed all the animals off or something. I don't know. Maybe
0: they did an experiment out there, right? Maybe, yeah. And it destroyed a lot of the wildlife out there. But maybe. I've read a couple postings of people who got to visit before Mm -hmm. it became blocked off to the public. Okay. One guy who posted on (laughs) damnedconnecticut.com, I love that website, named Jesse said that the area provided inspiration for the film and storyline of the Blair Witch Project. So the town even has a river that flows near it, like Blair Witch project Mm -hmm. and even though he heard of the stories of creepy stuff after dark he only went during the day he said quote i will go on record to report that even going while the sun was up was very creepy one thing that has stayed with me was the utter silence quite literally you can't hear anything on the, way to the gra- on the way to the grounds, you would usually hear rustling of leaves in the wind or maybe the chatter of woodland animals, but when we got there, each time we went, it was deathly silent once you crossed the barrier, setting foot onto the actual grounds. Stacy, who also posted her experience, stated that when she and her boyfriend explored the place, they didn't have any paranormal experiences, which was disappointing, except her phone didn't work. Instead, it would just go to static. But they each decided to take home a souvenir rock. Uh-oh. I know. We know about taking home don't souvenir do it. rocks, don't, don't do we, it. Holly? Yep. While leaving the place, they encountered what looked like a road accident. But when she got home, she put her rock on the front porch, and as she tried to watch some TV later, found that her remote volume control could just not work properly. It could not be controlled in single increments of going up and down, but would jump to levels of two, which she said was really strange. She just decided after that to throw her rock out into the woods, freaked out by this incident. Her boyfriend's rock, though, was still in her car, which he left behind on accident. And after several breakdowns of her car not working, she found the rock and gave it back to him. <laughs> Curious if there was any paranormal connections associated with the rock, he suggested they test for any anomalies in photos. So they were all like, hey, let's take pictures of it. Yeah. So that's what they did. In almost all of the photos, there were orbs or smoke to be seen. One of the pictures, she said, had half of her face enveloped in a mist. Hmm. So they both decided to put the rock in the car with the intention of taking it back to the area they took it from when the car started breaking down again. Oh, jeez. So instead, they just ditched it in front of a friend's place in a grass, in a grassy area. Yeah. It should have been
1: an enemy's place to put it there. Yeah, they should
0: have done that. But yeah. So instead, they just ditched it in front of their friend's place in a grassy area near the parking lot of her apartment. And the following week, I guess her friend's place was raided and she oh. ended up in jail. Oh my God. I know. And even though, you know, she was doing bad stuff, her friend was like, it's just ironic. She said that it happened so soon after yeah. they left The Rock. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. So another blog post from Brian Lyota said that one time they found a dead horse in one of the foundations covered in branches only partially decomposed. Someone had dumped a horse there only 48 hours earlier. And he found that
1: super weird. It's a lot of animal to dump. Mm.
0: Yeah, it is. So to me, it sounds like more that the animal just died there. Maybe. Uh, to me. Yeah. Um, I doubt somebody would just dump their horse there. I don't know. It's hard to say. Others do verify that electronics don't work out there at all. And you can read many other posters on the website, which I will link in the credits for you. Some very interesting perspectives on the paranormal activity that people have witnessed out there. Yeah. Cool. And I will say, there is someone very famous who knows ghosts. Dan Aykroyd reportedly oh, yeah. called it the scariest place on earth. Really? So there you have it. My dud of an episode to end. <laughs>
1: to end our oh, season. Uh, in our season. Well, yes. Has Dan Aykroyd been out there? I guess so, yeah. Huh. I don't oh, know wow. his personal story. But yeah, he's totally into the paranormal. It's pretty cool. He probably has been then. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, thank you, Carol. Oh, you're welcome. being that it's halloween halloween thought the perfect story to end the podcast with is the one of the most famous american ghost stories that we have sleepy hollow yes yes (laughs) i'm so excited classic story of the legend of sleepy hollow by author washington irving was among the first pieces of popular american fiction to sweep over europe in the 1820s Now, I'm not going to read the story itself, as we do not have that kind of time. Oh,
0: we have time. We have time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I will tell you the general gist. Irving set the story during the 1790s in a small glen of Tarrytown, New York, known as Sleepy Hollow. The story goes that the town of Sleepy Hollow was already known to be quite a haunted town where paranormal experiences abounded. A young schoolteacher named Ichabod Crane moved to the small town from Connecticut and quickly took to the community. He stayed with different families in the village as his salary was too meager to afford lodging he helped out his landlords with odd jobs when he wasn't working as a schoolmaster he also found himself getting in good with the ladies of the town as he was a major hub of town gossip (laughs) the ladies would chat about the other residents of the town as well as some of the paranormal occurrences that were rumored to have happened Ichabod believed in the power of witchcraft and loved the spooky and creepy atmospheric vibe of the town. Even though he loved to hear the ghost stories, they played upon Ichabod's consciousness, and he found he was nervous and jumpy and easily scared to walk alone by himself at night. Oh
0: my gosh, this sounds like the football player jumping out of the car. Yeah, pretty much. Must be a relative.
1: I guess. As he listened to the ladies of the town talk of all the ghosts and goblins that haunted their village, they warned Ichabod of the most famous of all, the Headless Horseman. The Headless Horseman was believed to be a deceased Hashian trooper whose head had been blown clean off by a cannonball during some battle in the Revolutionary War. Each night, it is said that the headless horseman would arise from the churchyard in which he is buried and ride back to the battle scene to find his missing head. He would return to the churchyard each morning before daybreak. Until he was able to find his head, he used a jack-o'-lantern in its place. Oh, nice! Ichabod was terrified by the story. During Ichabod's stay in Sleepy Hollow, he pursued the hand of a young girl named Katrina Van Tassel. She was the daughter of a very wealthy farmer, and Ichabod was attracted to being the inheritor of the father of Van Tassel's wealth, as well as Katrina herself. However, there was another rooster in the hen house. A Uh man named Abraham Brombones Van Brunt was also interested in the hand of Katrina and did not like the schoolteacher sniffing around his girl brahm was physically intimidating a strong horseman and loved to play pranks he had Uh successfully scared all the other men in town away from katrina except for ichabod ichabod was quite clever however he convinced katrina's parents to hire him to be her music teacher to teach her to sing nice familiar carol yeah (laughs) this secured him time alone with katrina making brahm very irritated indeed to retaliate, Rahm played pranks on Ichabod, like breaking into the schoolhouse and turning all of the furniture upside down, stuffing the schoolhouse chimney full, redirecting smoke into the classrooms, and even training a dog to howl whenever Ichabod's sang <laughs> and gifting said dog to Katrina. He sounds like such a fun guy. I know. You have to admit that's Yo, pretty clever. Why would you marry
0: Ichabod? This I know. Guy this guy sounds guy's like, awesome. like entertainment
1: yeah. for He's a lifetime. Pretty funny. Brahm tried to force Ichabod into a fight to prove who should win the hand of Katrina, but Ichabod would not fight him as he knew Brahm would kick his ass. Oh. <laughs> One night, the Van Tassels hosted an autumn harvest party and invited Brahm and Ichabod to attend. Ichabod spiffied himself up, slicked back his hair, and put on his best suit. He then borrowed the neighbor's horse, Gunpowder, to take him to the party. The horse was called Gunpowder? Gunpowder, I yeah. love it. Gunpowder was an old horse that was blind to one eye, scruffy to look at, and slow to move. However, Ichabod needed transportation to his beloved Katrina, so he jumped on the horse's back and rode off to the farm. The stirrups on Gunpowder were a bit high for the tall and lean Ichabod crane, so his knees stuck out like a tall cricket as he bobbed <laughs> up and down the horse to the party. Good visual. I know, right? In contrast, Brom rode his big and powerful horse, Daredevil, to the party. Daredevil was so fast and strong, no one else could ride him except for the sexy Brom. (laughs) This is such a great story. Such a great story. This did not intimidate Ichabod, though, and he entered the home of the Van Tassels and went right to their banquet feast of scrumptious foods. After he filled his stomach, Ichabod grabbed Katrina by the hand and started dancing with her in the middle of the party all while Brom glared at him from the crowd. After the dancing, the group gathered around to hear stories of the war. Eventually, the war stories turned to ghost stories and tales of the Headless Horseman. Brom told everyone that he once raced the Headless Horseman and that he was about to win when the Headless Horseman disappeared in a, quote, flash of fire and brimstone, end quote, after he crossed the church bridge. As the party came to an end and the guests started to leave, Ichabod pulled Katrina to the side. This was the big moment. He felt that he had successfully wooed Katrina and his timing was perfect to ask her for her hand. Unfortunately, Katrina did not agree and rejected the poor Ichabod Crane, though it is not in the story why she rejects him really. Rebuffed and sad, Ichabod left the party with his heart in his hands. He slipped back upon Gunpowder and started back towards his home. As he and Gunpowder climbed through the woods back to town, Ichabod noticed that there was another writer behind them. He slowed the horse to let the rider pass, but the rider did not pass. He just kept pace with Ichabod and Gunpowder. Ichabod turned to look at the rider. To his horror, he saw a man on a great black horse. The man had no head and said the head was sitting on the man's lap. Oh. Ichabod shrieked and kicked Gunpowder into high gear. Gunpowder took off as fast as his old hooves would take him. The headless horsemen pursued them both. Finally, they reached the church bridge, and Ichabod breathed a sigh of relief, knowing that once they crossed the bridge, the headless horseman would disappear in a, quote, flash of fire and brimstone, end quote. Once across crossed the bridge, Ichabod looked back at the headless horseman. To his dismay, the headless horseman did not disappear, but instead no. reared his horse up on his hind legs and hurled his decapitated head full force right at Ichabod, successfully knocking him off his horse. Oh, my word. The next morning, the residents of Sleepy Hollow awoke from their slumber. They found Gunpowder lazily grazing grass in his owner's yard, his saddle missing, his bridle dragging. No sightings of Ichabod Crane were seen. The students reported that Ichabod did not show up at the schoolhouse. The people of the town formed a search party to look for Ichabod. They went to the church bridge where they found Ichabod's crumbled hat and the smashed remains of a jack-o'-lantern. But there was no Ichabod Crane. In fact, he was never seen again. Poor Ichabod. The legend goes down in Sleeping Hollow history with some believing that Ichabod was taken away by the Hellas Horsemen, while others believe that Ichabod returned to Connecticut or New York. Many people suspected that Brom, in his quest toward Sleepy Hollow and Katrina, of Ichabod Crane had the strength the writing ability, and the love of pranks to present himself to Ichabod as the Headless Horseman.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Brom scared Ichabod so badly that Ichabod left town forever, clearing the way for Brom to marry Katrina von Tassel. Years later, a visitor to Sleepy Hollow told the townspeople that Ichabod Crane was alive and well and living in Manhattan and was a highly successful lawyer, politician, writer, and judge. And the best part of the story, Carol, are the lessons that one is to derive from the legend of Sleepy Hollow.
0: What is the lesson?
1: The first moral lesson is, quote, to take a joke as we find it. Oh, yeah. The second <laughs> is, quote, competing with someone who is sure to beat you is foolish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Just leave town. Yeah, just leave town. Yeah. And thirdly, quote, that some losses in life lead to better opportunities in the future. That's right. Those are all great lessons, don't you think? I think it's great. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was one of America's first pieces of fiction to make an impact in Europe and one of America's most famous Mm -hmm. ghost stories. In fact... Mm -hmm. I think after Edgar Allan Poe, it was one of the most well known ghost stories that we have. Oh, wow, yeah. Sleepy Hollow helped to cement the idea of ghost stories and lore throughout public consciousness. The power and endurance of this legend should not be underestimated, as it set the groundwork for many incredible ghost stories we have today. The story was so beloved that Washington Irving himself was even laid to rest in Tarrytown Cemetery, which is now Sleepy Hollow oh. Cemetery.
0: I love that story. I know.
1: Even though it's fictional, many people may not know that Washington Irving did base many of his story elements from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow on real life.
0: No, I did not know that. Yeah,
1: this is where it's kind of fun. In 1798, Washington Irving left his hometown of New York City for Terrytown to escape a yellow fever outbreak. Irving lived in Terrytown for a while, but he wanted to make a living as a writer. Unfortunately, at that time, there weren't many jobs in America for writers. So he moved to England to live with his sister. Once in England, he told his brother-in-law some of the ghost stories he had heard while he was living in Terrytown, which he eventually wrote down into a book of short stories and essays called The Sketchbook under the pseudonym of Jeffrey Cran which is kind of a weird pseudonym. That is
0: a strange name.
1: The sketchbook became one of the first pieces of American literature to be read widely throughout Britain and Europe and started building respect in the literature world for American writers throughout Europe. Included in the sketchbook were two short stories, Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. The village of Sleepy Hollow was based off of North Tarrytown in the Hudson Valley of New York. In 1996, North Tarrytown renamed itself to Sleepy Hollow as a nod to the famous story. The famous Headless Horseman Bridge did exist in Irving's time. It was a wooden structure that crossed the Pocantico River. It has been rebuilt at least five times and it is now a steel bridge. The Dutch church and the churchyard where the horseman is buried also existed and was built in 1697. It's the second oldest existing church and the 15th oldest existing building in the state of New York. Katrina Van Tassel's grave in the sleepy hollow churchyard had some speculate that she was the muse for Irving's character of Katrina in the story. However, at the time the story came out, the real life Katrina Van Tassel would not have properly fit the bill for the character, as she would have been much older than the young girl in the book. Her personality was not close to the fictionalized version either. Therefore, many historians believe that instead of Katrina Van Tassel, her niece, Eleanor, was the actual real-life reference for Katrina in the story. Oh, so he just
0: kind of disguised his true love by switching the name. Probably.
1: Eleanor was in her late 20s, had a vivacious personality, and her family was close with Washington Irving's family. She was a much better candidate for Irving's reference of Katrina Van Tassel. For the character of Abraham Brom Bones Van Brunt, there were two blacksmiths named Brom that Irving used for reference. Abram Brom Martling a heroic war veteran from the Revolutionary War that led a defensive strike against the Tories after they tried burning down the Van Tassel home, was one reference. And another Brom was Abram Van Alstyne. This Brom played a prank on schoolmaster Jesse Merwin, who was shy and underconfident. Merwin had been courting a woman named Jane Van Dyke for quite some time, but had still not proposed to her. So one night after leaving Jane's house, Merwin encountered a horseman wrapped in sheets. The horseman used his crackling laughter to scare Merwin and suggested to him that he better propose to Jane soon or he would have to endure more pranks and scares. (laughs) Merwin got the message and proposed to Jane. That horseman was Van Elstein. And Jesse Merwin, he was the inspiration for Ichabod Crane. Oh, cool. Irving met Merwin in 1809 and the two were good friends and pen pals. Merwin was a school teacher in Kinderhook, New York. Merwin's original schoolhouse is now called the Ichabod Crane Schoolhouse, and it is owned by the Columbia County Historical Society. The name of Kinderbrook's current school district is the Ichabod Crane Central School District. That's fantastic. I
0: would love to go to that school if it's still an active school. I
1: think it is. The name Ichabod Crane, it is believed, comes from a general named Ichabod Crane from the War of 1812 that Irving met in 1814. The headless horseman himself was based off of a Haitian soldier who had been decapitated via cannonball well, on horseback during the Battle of White Plains around Halloween in 1776. This event happened less than eight miles from Sleepy Hollow. The body of the headless Haitian soldier was buried at the old Dutch churchyard. So now that Northern Town has changed its name to Sleepy Hollow, you better believe that there are going to be even more ghost stories that circle that area. It is believed the ghost of the real headless soldier that is the inspiration for the headless horseman haunts the bridge over the Pocantico River. One man was walking home one night when something grabbed him and dragged him onto the bridge and threw him into the river below. He was able to swim to the shore and was eventually rescued by the neighbors. It is believed that the ghost of the headless soldier threw him into the river. One ghost that haunts the area is Major Andre, who was a compatriot of Benedict Arnold's. Major Andre was a spy and tried to deliver plans to the British when he was caught and eventually hung in Terrytown. The tree that he was hunting was struck and split by lightning. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. It is said that Andre's ghost haunts the grounds to this day. He has been seen as a gray shadow by the swamp nearby. People have heard him say halt in an authoritative tone and the sound of galloping hooves on the ground near the tree. There is a haunted statue that sits inside the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in front of the tomb of a deceased general. She is called the Bronze Lady, and if you approach her quietly, you can hear her crying. Superstitions surround the Bronze Lady, who sits facing the tomb of the departed general. One superstition is if you knock on the door of the general's tomb and look through the keyhole, you will have nightmares of her that night. Or if you slap the Bronze Lady in the face, (laughs) she would haunt you forever. And I can't say I blame her. I don't blame her. Why why do you have to slap her in the face in the first place? These these are goofy. It's so funny. It's ridiculous. Some say if you are nice to her, she will take care of you. Aw. So the town of Sleepy Hollow, as you might imagine, takes the holiday of Halloween very seriously. Oh, yes. Perhaps that is why they changed their name, so they could attract tourist dollars to them every October. Smart. If you visit Sleepy Hollow during the month of October, you can be treated to a plethora of scary events, many of which include the Hellas Horseman himself. (laughs) Cemetery tours, pumpkin art displays, haunted houses, haunted hayrides, Halloween parades, Even a headless horseman ball await any tourists that would like to experience Sleepy Hollow for themselves. Oh, a ball sounds fun. That would be fun. They even have a schedule of where and when you may be able to get a glimpse of the headless horseman himself. So if you have nothing to do tonight, my suggestion would be to jump in your car or maybe on a plane and take yourself to Sleepy Hollow. (laughs) I'm sure it will be a frightfully good time. And that is the legend of Sleepy Hollow.
0: I love it. What a great way to end our season guys.
1: Yes. And not just our season.
0: (laughs) Yes. It is with a sad heart that we are saying goodbye to our listeners. This is going to be our final signing off. We've decided we're going to hypnotize you now to forget (laughs) all about us. But first we we have to give a big thanks to you listeners for always being so kind to us and loyal. We've had such a great time doing this show. We really have. It's been just an awesome time researching the stories. We've learned so much about our speaking abilities. Yes.
1: And that we don't Um, have it. And that English (laughs) is our second language, not our first, (laughs) apparently. It's been
0: just such an enlightening experience. And we also have to give a big thanks and shout out for our editor, Josh McCullough, who's done Josh. an outstanding job. Josh. Um, he's the one that was the mastermind behind all the sound effects Yay. around the campfire, our editing, and um, he generally keeps our humor from getting too. Um, out of bounds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks,
0: Josh. Thanks so much, Josh. Um, and also, we have to mention our gals at Murder and the Rain podcast, Yay. who, along with Josh, have helped us get our bearings on this podcast. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing at first, yeah. And they just really were instrumental in helping us, along with um, being part of Cascade Media.
1: Thank you, Alicia so and Emily.
0: Thank you, guys, so much. And I highly recommend tuning into them if you like true crime thanks again so much we've really loved doing the show it's been what we almost have like 200 episodes yeah done. this is
1: number 170. so yeah yeah it's plenty it's, it's been yeah it's been it's so been fun yeah. um,
0: our lives just are taking a different turn we're going yeah. different directions but maybe someday we'll back we'll be back yeah no especially promises. at the aliens
1: land you guys yeah you'll hear from me maybe <laughs> maybe we will but
0: either way we hope to see you someday on the other side. Hopefully not too soon. Oh, yes. Just not too
1: soon.
0: <laughs> Enjoy your Halloween. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Take we caring. appreciate
1: you. Bye-bye. Good night. Ichabod believed in the power of witchcraft and loved the spooky and creepy. No. What is wrong with me? <laughs> In contrast, Brom rode his big and powerful horse <clears throat> and then he was about to win when the Headless Horseman disappeared in a quote flash of fire and brimstone. <laughs> Let's say that again. They found gunpowder, lazily grazing, no. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was one of America's first pieces of fric- <laughs> friction.
0: As the flames die down, do we- Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely
1: haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to Fireside at gmail.com, and you may hear it on a future episode.